everybody and welcome to the alien versus predator galaxy podcast this is regular host aaron percival aka corporal hicks and joining me as usual is my fellow blue collar space trucker again it's uh, eric adams otherwise known on the forums as xenomorphine and for this one we stopped off at thedas for a special guest replaced our science officer not really too sure about this new guy but uh, <laughs> joining us is Hi, I'm Tom. I am Nightmare Asylum on the forums. Yeah, so uh, we have a special community guest for this one. You've been on the boards for a long time, haven't you? I have since like 2009 or so. There's been a few like little gaps where I've slowed it down a little bit, but I've pretty much consistently been there since then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't we play Halo Wars together? At we some point we did for a while. Yeah. yeah. God, 2009 would have been when that came out. So probably right early on, like 2010 ish. You know, mm. late 2009, early 2010, when I kind of settled in on there. I remember playing Halo, various Halos with a lot of people back yep. in the day. Yeah, that, that's always a nice common thing. I love Halo. Everybody loves Halo. Well, to our audience as well, this is our first recorded episode of 2024. I have no idea if it's going to be our first one released in 2024. <laughs> I'm going to avoid any um, episode titles, episode numbers even, sorry. But for this episode, we are doing a topic I've wanted to do for many, 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 many many years it was something i'd originally thought about doing as a bit of a a crossover with one of the other podcasts but it never it never worked out unfortunately but coming into this year with it being aliens 45th anniversary this year yeah yep i was like let's let's start the year with a nice alien one and we'll finally do this topic i've always wanted to do and it is the alien theatrical cut versus the director's cut so we'll be talking significant changes which will be the additional scenes and uh, the couple of omissions um, one of which is an absolute crime to this film i will say tom had kindly joined us to come and talk about alien for the 45th year and discuss the differences between those films you may have noticed also that we're missing adam he may join us we'll find out (laughs) we'll see how we go along and of course, this is another one we're broadcasting for our Patreon viewers as they come in and out of the broadcast. Special surprise guest star status, we'll say that. So before we start talking Alien, though, Tom, as is tradition, you know, as your first time on this podcast, as your first time our audience hearing your voice, you've got to tell us how you got into Alien and, uh, you know, your big interests when it comes to the franchise. Uh, yeah, so as far as getting into Alien, that would have been 2007. I uh, would have been in middle school. And so this was pre-AVPR coming out because that was the end of 2007. And a lot of my friends were talking about this movie that they all really liked, Alien vs. Predator, that I had caught some TV spots for a couple of years back, had heard of, but had never seen. So I remember being at, uh, it was either Blockbuster or Hollywood Video. We had both near my house. I would frequent both with my dad in 2007. I'm like, you know what? This AVP movie that all my friends are talking about, I'm gonna grab this one. This is what I'm gonna rent today. 
And I remember showing it to my dad and he looked at it and he said, let's not get this. And he put it down and grabbed Alien instead. And, you know, I was always very happy to go along with his recommendations on things. He had gotten me into a million things that I had left at that point. I don't know if he actually knew Alien and Alien vs. Predator were the same Alien, but we brought it home, watched it that night, and I was fixated on that thing. And to the point where it became an obsession, ended up immediately having to go around Aliens and Alien 3 after, and it just kind of spiraled from there. Grew into Predator, you know, kind of adjacent, coming off of the Alien stuff, and I always liked it, though my interest has always primarily been the Alien side of things. I did not end up seeing AVPR that year, despite having seen everything else. It took me until that one's cable release to get around to seeing it, and probably for the best, because that's still the only time I've ever seen that one. But yeah, out of that kind of incident there, that's what just grew into a fixation slash long-term obsession for, I guess, 16, 17 years now. That super depresses me. It's been that long for you. Yeah. And you were an AVP baby, basically. Yeah. But technically, yeah. I didn't see AVP till after I'd seen, you know, all of the Alien and Predator stuff, but that was the, the crux. That era. Yeah. What got me into it. And I'm so thankful that my dad swapped those uh, discs out there and got me into Alien instead. Sarah says in the comments, we're so old. I'm just like, I feel, I feel so bad for Eric. If I feel old at that, Eric's fucking ancient. Oh, yeah, no, I've been under a bit of a mistake out for thing. I thought we were doing all of the director's cuts and theatrical cuts for the entire <laughs> Alien series. So I've been doing the whole thing. So I've actually had some weird thing like, oh, yeah, if we talk about when's the first time I saw this, what will I say? Yeah, you come and saying, oh, in, in my young days, I almost saw Requiem the year it was released. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was there before Alien 3 came out. So, yeah, so, yeah, so Predators would have been the first one that I saw in theaters because okay. I skipped AVPR and I didn't know slash care when, you know, AVP was out. And I was, what was Alien Resurrection? 97. So I was yeah. three when that came out. But yeah, so from Predators to, you know, everything except Prey, obviously, because no theatrical release I've seen on the big screen. Regrettably, the How Predator. do you think, if you had seen that film as your first one, because you hadn't seen any Alien and Predator films, would you think you it might have sparked some interest anyway, if that had been the first one you'd seen? I or? don't know. I don't know, because I've... See, so when I did see AVP in middle school, you know, after finally seeing the other stuff, I liked it, didn't love it, and then my opinion on it has just kind of decreased over the years, but I don't know, I really don't know how I would have felt had that been my first introduction. Yeah, I think I would have always come around to Alien regardless of when I saw it, but I'm glad it played out the way it did for me. Yeah. One of the things I do remember from that time was it did AVP did bring in a new wave of fans. Yep. You know, it did bring in a new wave of teenagers that then discovered the films and Right. 
revisited the rest of the franchise. And that is always a great thing about, you know, when we do get new releases for all mm-hmm. its flaws and everything, you know, Prometheus probably also introduced a bunch of uh, new fans to the, I the wider even universe. Among my friends, I got a lot of them into it around Prometheus. And then in that time between Prometheus and Covenant, kind of through the prequels, going back and showing, you know, the films that way. So that was a mm-hmm. time where, like, a lot of people my age that were around me were getting into it that didn't see it as kids. Yeah. And we saw it with Prey as well. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. And, and it's great that Prey is objectively far superior to AVP anyway. So, you know, it's yep. a nice jumping in point for, for folk. Right. I'm going to ask Eric to start with here. With my mind fresh from Alien Resurrection, I guess. Well, he's the old boy, so I have to wonder if you caught the re-release here. So we're talking the director's cut of Alien, comparing it to the theatrical cut. Yes. All the, all the Alien films, the, the quadrilogy, the initial series, all have alternate cuts. But Alien is the only one that has had it released in the cinema. Yes. Which was yeah. Halloween time 2020. Fucking idiot. 2003. You can't say 2003. 2003. That was the year before AVP, wasn't it? Yes. AVP was 2004. So you went from Alien to AVP. Well, it was released as like a lean, lead into the yes. quadrilogy set, which came out at the end of at the end of 20 at the end of 2003. I'm so used to saying 2020 for many years here. It was for that, wasn't it? They they asked him to do it because they wanted extra stuff for the set. They were doing it for the quadrilogy and then decided, let's release this in the cinema. So I was a year too young to watch it in the cinema when it was re-released, no. and I was absolutely fucking devastated. Hadn't it been re-released since then? I thought it had, the director's cut. Or has it only been the original? Well, I mean, more like the assembly cut's never been re-released in the cinema. No, probably, but the, the Alien director's cut, I thought that had been re-released since 2000. Not, not, not as an official. Okay. Yeah, I think it's shown for sure, but there hasn't been like a Just, big yeah. 20th century slash Disney like yeah. specific okay. here's the, the director's cool. cut kind of release. All the sort of like Alien Day releases, I think, have all been the theatrical release, at least over yeah. here that I, I can and remember. We had 40th anniversary one in 2019, but that yes, was which is the 4K. Yeah, yep. that, that was the, the 4K restore. But what I was getting at here was, Eric, did you go watch this when it re-released in the cinema? I did, yes. And I have to be cards on the table here. I did it almost, well, partly because I'd never seen it on the big screen myself. But it was, I'd say, 90%. I just wanted to see what the audience's reaction was because I was kind of like old hat alien by then. But I thought, well... Some people, this is going to be the first time watching Alien, or they're not as familiar with the scenes we all knew, like the cocoon scene, which we knew had been reinserted into this ahead of time. So, yeah, the highlights for me was just seeing like how it would affect the audience. And the one scene I knew had been reinserted, and I was really hoping would have an unsettling effect. They didn't do it. It wasn't in there. I mean, it was, but they'd altered it. It was the space jockey signal. So for me, I was thinking, yeah, come on. I want to see that. And, you know, it doesn't have the same effect as the one we knew was originally in there. And um, it was a bit of a, hey, did you do this? You've, You've stolen that from me. I wanted to see the reaction. Yeah, it was 
I mean, it was interesting seeing it on the big screen and it did have a different effect because I was prepared for it having that sort of slower pacing. And the strange thing about the director's cut, because it's not really a director's cut, is that it's actually, I think, a minute shorter than the original. But for me, I think it works better because the, the it was too slow paced for me and i know a lot of people think the opposite but i'm i appreciated that about it felt like it flowed a bit better especially for modern audiences but yeah it was it was an interesting experience being with an audience to see it nowadays when you want to watch alien which cut do you put on probably this version just because of the pacing okay. it, it okay. does flow better for me but when i think of right if you're gonna do it like as the series i would probably do the original just because as much as i love the cocoon scene there is that dichotomy in aliens where they say what is that stuff the resin material of the hive and she says i have no idea which doesn't make sense if she was in the cocoon scene so it flows better with the theatrical just for that but aside from that i kind of prefer the the pacing feels a little more cohesive in the um the director's cut the re-released version but kind of much of a muchness in terms of entertainment value there's not massive changes about how you view them so it's not like the alien 3 one which even then it's not massive but you know there are substantial changes to certain parts of alien 3 whereas in this one it's just like oh you haven't seen this scene before here it is reinserted into the hole <laughs> that's fair there in the chat says she watches the theatrical version when uh, she pops it in now tom how about yourself uh, tell us a little bit about your preferred cut and your general sort of thoughts on the director's cut so my preferred is absolutely the theatrical it's what i saw first but it has everything that i want in there when I think the director's cut versus the theatrical, even before I think of the new stuff added in in the quote-unquote director's cut, I think more so of the stuff that I love in the theatrical that's missing. And I think that is my biggest kind of point of contention between the two. And it's, you know, a couple big scenes, but also just little like a few seconds shaved here, a few seconds shaved there that I think that slower pacing for me is what hooked me on the movie in the first place. It just a few seconds here, a few seconds there to really hurt to settle under my skin. It is, to this day, I would say one of the scariest experiences I've had watching a movie. And no matter how many times I watch it, when it sinks in, it gets me. Like the same moments get me every time. And they still do in the director's cut, but I think that's more by association with the film on the whole rather than what the director's cut specifically is doing on its own. And then, like I said, a couple big... So there's stuff in the director's cut that I absolutely love. Stuff that I love to see, like the Jonesy bit with the alien, a few other small things. But the theatrical cut just is the complete package for me. And that's always what I you know, sit down and choose, given the choice. I think it's interesting because we've established now you came into the series with Alien being a first. Mm -hmm. I came into it with Aliens being my first. Right. I think, okay. Aaron, you've said your first was Alien 3. No, uh, aliens. Ah, aliens. okay. I thought your first was Alien 3. So we've kind of like got a, your entry point mm. might dictate which version if if the Could pace be, yeah. alone yeah maybe but i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree with you there eric okay my theory is <laughs> i came in with aliens yeah while it is not the film most associated with horror when it comes to alien you know one of the things i've talked about much in the past is that film gave me nightmares for five years 
I was sleeping face down with my chest against the mattress. So the chest burster could not come out because there was something there. And, you know, it was that morbid fascination that made me obsessed, absolutely fucking obsessed with this franchise as a child. So I, as an alien's child, but I agree with Tom, you know, I very much prefer to watch the theatrical cut of Alien. Again, same as Tom. It's the removal of the Dallas scene that really sways me because I think that is a, a crime against Alien, that that scene is removed. The the little cuts, the little snips, I think ruin a little bit of the tension in the film. You know, even if it's tiny little things like, I think the insert of Parker with this flamethrower before he goes to refuel it, it's gone. There's a little moment where uh, Ripley, before she goes to Mother to find out, um, you know, about the special order, you know, there's a moment of her panicking, getting the key card out that's removed. And I, I probably can envision Ridley's logic here being, we've already seen how that works. Dallas has already showed us how that works. We don't need it. It's fine. Go. But for me, it's like little bits of tension. It's little bits of those characters being frantic and worrying about the environment because the alien you know, is there when it's not there. You know, it doesn't need to be on screen for us to feel it when we're watching the film. Those little snips and little cuts, I think, remove the tension yeah. and remove that fear. Uh, but, you know, he, he also mentioned in the past, you know, he cut the new stuff for a reason. And that he says that is to do with the pacing. You know, we're reading off of Xenopedia here. He talked a little bit about that process and why he recut the director's cut. And he said, upon viewing the proposed expanded version of the film, I felt that the cut was simply too long and the pacing completely thrown off. After all, I cut those scenes out for a reason back in 1979. However, in the interest of giving the fans a new experience with Alien, I figured there had to be an appropriate middle ground. I chose to go in and recut that proposed long version into a more streamlined and polished alternate version of the film. For marketing purposes, this version is called the director's cut. In quotation marks. You know, he he did say he preferred the original in the... Well, I don't think he said it quite so straightforward. He does. He, he openly states the original is his preferred favourite. But I think he later comes out and says he likes them both. He likes both versions. They're just different beasts, I think was the quote he used. But I, I will always put the theatrical cut on. Occasionally, I'll be like, I fancy watching one of these alternate scenes and or watching it through with the alternate scenes and I'll, and I'll put it on. But it's like the opposite of Alien 3, where more often than not, I'm putting on the assembly cut and occasionally I'm like, I wonder what the old experience is like. And I'll, I'll bang the theatrical cut on for a little bit just to refresh the memory of the, the, ex, of the experience. Just before we go, can you, just because some people watching this, I've got a feeling they'll just be thinking, oh, director's cut, it's more. But as we've said, there were things taken out of it. So when you say the Dallas scene... Just explain for some people who don't quite remember, what's the Dallas scene that was actually removed from this version? Should we start talking about that cut then? That omission is, is part of the proper thing. Proper topic, I suppose, shall I say. So the director's cut of Alien removes the scene in which Dallas goes to talk to Mother before he goes in the vents. You know, it's, it's a very somber scene of him asking yes. the computer about his odds. You know, am I going to survive what I'm about to do? And Mother will not give him an answer. Was it does not compute, I think, is the phrase that comes up on the screen. And I personally feel that that is the worst thing that Scott did to that film. Dallas is a character I see a lot of myself in when it comes to Alien. 
You know, he's a character that does not want the responsibility that he has, and he definitely does not want to be the man making decisions about a fucking alien running around on his ship killing people because he did not sign up for this bullshit. You know, that's a very extreme way that Dallas is dealing with it compared to, you know, my career trajectory, so we say. You're not a starship captain. I'm not a starship captain, I'm afraid. Well, I don't think I want it, I'll be honest. I don't want to have to deal with these aliens. But even though he doesn't want to be there, he doesn't want to be making these decisions. You know, I just run the ship. Anything to do with the science division is Ash's thing. Even though he doesn't want to be doing that stuff, he's still leading from the front. You know, Ripley is quick to jump to it. But I feel like a lot of that is also to do with Ripley's ambition in the earlier film. But he's leading from the front. This is my ship. This is my responsibility. I'm doing it. And then in his quiet, in his private, you see how much he doesn't want to be doing this, how worried he is about what he's just volunteered to do. And removing that dimension from the character, I think, really does a, a detriment. Yeah. But also, it, it removes something of... Because Mother is effectively it's like, it's like a, a tertiary character in herself. And Mother is the one who he's confiding in more than Ripley at times. And yet, the one time he would like some kind of response it's it's just that very cold mechanical i'm the face of the corporation kind of does not compute now later on there is that extra layer of nuance you could say to mother herself where ripley's interacting and then you find out mother is withholding things but mother is just being systematic so here he's wanting you know it's even called mother you're given that subtext of he's wanting some kind of compassion or some reassurance. Reassurance. Yeah. And it's the, the one outlet he has, like a dear diary thing. And it's just saying, I don't know, do your job. Goodbye. And it's nice because you can see he is, he's needing some kind of thing there. As you say, it removes that from Dallas. And yeah, it does. The film suffers from it. But when you know it's not there, you feel its absence. Yeah. It also, one thing that stuck out to me when I rewatched the director's cut to prepare for this a couple nights ago, just in the terminology, the way that Dallas phrases it, what are my chances? The response does not compute. And at a few scenes later, when he's revealed to be an android and he's, you know, given his final spiel at the end before he's shut down. And the last thing he says, I can't lie to you about your chances. Like the two synthetic characters mother and ash are i mean obviously you know one is dallas's input to mother the other is you know ash's output to the rest of the crew but it just having that first scene missing and then having the kind of repeated phrasing when talking about the encounter with the alien between the synthetic and human characters it stuck out even more as a glaring omission seeing it like that and just on a personal level, like that scene with Dallas, I love that kind of exchange in general. I love, you know, the equivalent scene in The Thing and in The Fly and a lot of other movies that have these characters using, you know, the very retro CRT computer to spitball back and forth, you know, to retrieve that data and that information that's basically just coming back and saying, sorry, can't help you, you're screwed. And it's just no matter how many instances I see it in different films, it's unsettling every single time. Sarah says, I think that scene does resound later when he wants to get out of the vent. Which I think is some fairness to that, yeah. It shows some vulnerability to him as well. It makes him more human. So when you see that apprehension, despite the fact that he's 
I'm doing this. I've I've over, overruled the uh, the third officer. You know, I I'm going in there. You see the apprehension. You see the worry. And then when he is in there doing it and shits his pants, and quite rightfully so, is like I want to get out of here. You know, it just adds to the the human in him. That's the the definition of courage is you know, when you know you're going into something, but you're doing it anyway for the right reasons. That's the definition. In spite of the fear, yeah. But we respect him all the more for that scene. It doesn't make it because a lot of people say, oh, "I don't want my character. I'm gonna I'm gonna have my character be fearless." But this is actually a prime example of a character not being fearless. But it does add something to them. Dallas is more memorable for it, and in fact, the cocoon scene later on it resonates more for that again. But I mean, we'll we'll come on to that later, I'm sure. Should we jump back chronologically then and talk about the scene that excited Eric? That is, I think, the first major change between the cuts, and that is the inclusion of the crew of the Nostromo actually listening to that SOS call. So, Eric, do you want to start us off with this one? This is Hicks from the future. Just a quick note that we're going to be talking about different sound effects of the derelict SOS. So... Fioris, I'm going to play the sound effect as heard in the director's cut, and then the sound effect as heard in the original deleted scenes, just so you guys and girls out there are aware of the differences. sound like any radio signal i've heard i see most people are familiar with it it's lambert does play the space jockey signal and the original bit of audio is genuinely very disturbing it's very unsettling to listen to to this but actually day, sorry just to interrupt there suppose we should say that despite you know the director's cut probably being a lot of people's introduction to these scenes older fans will have been familiar with them from the laser disc and from the first uh, dvd releases of, of of alien because they were included on both of those releases so you could see the earlier pre-polish versions of those scenes so when eric says he's referring to the original version he's talking yes. about that and just pre-dvd because i remember those days on the internet as it was then it was i know the cocoon scene was doing the rounds on then you, you could view it as a sort of like dot mov file but it was very low resolution oh it probably predates mov eric that was um that was apple wasn't it that would have been when itunes started being it was a, one of those early form but yeah you could see it and that was one of the things that mm. when the dvd and leads this came out they said oh it's included here as well but yeah, that specific scene is because I think earlier on they mentioned an acoustic beacon. So you're thinking, oh, there's audio. So they play it for, and let me see, it's Dallas Ripley, Lambert's the one who plays it, and Kane. Ash is in there as well. You see? Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. And they play it, and it is a genuinely disturbing piece of audio. I don't know how they made it. I'd love to see an interview with whoever made that. It is a genuinely disturbing sound you're hearing to this day. It still feels, oh, that's haunting to listen to. And part of that is the reactions of the actors involved. And you they sell it. I don't know if they heard it on set, but they sell it that much more. And what we actually get in the director's cut is something that sounds a bit like a wonky modem. It's like a little bit of fluttering, but it, all the rest of it sounds like if you're just tuning through radio stations and you're going through static and it's worse because ripley actually says that's like no radio signal i've ever heard i think it's exactly like all the radio signals you've ever heard but if they'd have just had the old one in there it sounds so much more disturbing and it's a complete mystery why they replaced it all i can think of is ridley scott says might have gone oh i want sound something that sounds a bit more digital maybe but i can tell you when I found the quote again, but I'm going to let Eric, okay. I'm going to let you and Tom talk about this while I go and find it. Okay. But I wish they hadn't changed that. That's a regret. Yeah, that's interesting. It's been a long time since, like, I, I'm after this, I'm going to have to go and watch the, the isolated version again to hear that original sound because it's been a long time since I've watched that version and I don't have that sound as embedded in my head. So going just off of the as it is with its inclusion in the director's cut with the new, you know, 2003 sound in there. I like the scene. I think the sound itself does leave some to be desired, like you said, which now I'm like itching to go and listen to the other one again, refresh myself on that. But that is one of the inclusions that I do like. I don't miss it when I'm watching the theatrical cut that does not have it. I don't miss it, but it's one of the ones that I like to seek out and just because I think especially in the early days with Alien and before we started delving into Space Jockey Engineer stuff with the prequels, when it was all very, like, you're kind of chomping at the bit and, like, scraping the surface to get every last thing you can in relation to that, which was part of, you know, what the really big deal with Aliens and, you know, oh, it's a chance to see the Derelict one more time in that special edition. And that's kind of the novelty factor that the signal in this deleted scene an alien has to me because it's just it's another chance to get a glimpse of this thing that's just on the peripheral of this original movie before you know anyone had kind of taken the leap to exploring it in any proper like significant capacity i have found what i was looking for so uh, charles de Rica, who we should know as the mastermind behind the quadrilogy set and the anthology set did an interview many, 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 many years ago with the digital bits and talked a little bit about this in here. So he's talking about some of the changes and he says, and the alien transmission scene, which now includes Ridley's preferred version of the transmission sound effect. It kind of reminds me of the sound effect that Luke and Ben trigger as they cross the entrance threshold of Mos Eisley in Star Wars, which comes as no surprise since Ben Burt designed both sound effects. There you go. It is Ridley's preferred version. I still prefer it. The thing about the original one, it's it's got this kind of resonating like an, a, the audio version of a ripple through it. And when you actually see the derelict, it feels like it would have come from somewhere that looks like that. And the egg mm-hmm. chamber, it feels like it is a sound you'd expect to come from the great beyond of something that's made of flesh and bone. Whereas the other one is more, it's cleaner and it's more staticky. It's got that fluttery sound, but it doesn't have that. 
it's got this warble. Yeah. That's, it's like it sounds like it's coming out of the ocean depths. For me, that's where its power is. The original one sounds so much more otherworldly. Just one of the characters ask about, you know, is that a voice as well when they're listening to it? And there is part of that original sound effect that does sound like it could be some weird, distorted, ghostly voice. And it just sounds so much stranger and unique than what we eventually get in the release director's cut. It just sounds normal. It sounds boring. It sounds modern and it doesn't sound alien. And I think it's a shame that Ridley didn't like the original and Sarah agrees with us in the comments. You know, I liked the original. It was completely alien, whereas the director suggested it was something you could recognize. Look who's joined us, everybody. Hey, apologies for my late arrival. By the way, welcome, Tom. Good to see you outside of the boards. Yeah, nice to see you. So, Adam, go on. Theatrical cut versus director's cut. Which one do you prefer? Which one do you watch the most? And feel free to tell us your thoughts on um, the distress signal scene. So the director's cut is kind of special for me because that was the first alien predator, anything from these franchises movie I had ever seen in theaters. I think I was still under 17 at the time in the States. If you're under 17 and a parent or guardian takes you, you can still see already film. So I think I was 16 and my dad took me to see the alien director's cut. And part of the reason was I love that film. Another part of the reason was I was hoping to see the AVP teaser trailer that was attached at the time. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, the panning of the suits. That's right. So it was a really cool experience to just see that in a theater for the first time. I think when it comes down to it, I do prefer the theatrical pacing wise. But the director's cut, I'll always be down to watch because I think it has a lot of interesting new shots, especially with the xenomorph and especially with the obvious scene, which needs no introduction at the end of of Ripley finding the, the nest on the ship, which kind of contradicts a bit with her not recognizing it in Aliens a little bit. But yeah, I said that. Yeah. Overall, I think. I think we get some interesting new material in terms of seeing more of attention after Ripley didn't allow them back on the vessel because of the quarantine. So yeah, I'm I'm down to watch either. I think while I prefer the theatrical, I just kind of like the pacing more, but it's not definitive for me. Like I could I could really go either way if someone wanted to throw one on. And so I think the next significant inclusion is probably Lambert and Ripley having a little tete-a-tete. Uh, just to interject really quick before that, there is one small one that I think is worth mentioning before that. And that is when Kane is looking into the egg and you actually see the gun in his hand, which I had completely forgotten about until I rewatched Director's Cut a couple nights ago. And it's just, I think the weaponry is just such an interesting sci-fi design that mm-hmm. you know never really carries over into like that particular brand like, sci-fi weaponry doesn't continue into anything else in the series and it's just cool to get a glimpse of that that you really only ever see in like that production still mostly with the the group shot with someone holding it doing the very star wars pose yeah yep. yep that one just totally blindsided me that i had completely forgotten about when i sat down for my director's cut watch a couple nights ago and like it blindsided me in a good way and that was the laser pistol right <clears throat> yeah the eva pistol it does yeah it has made a resurgence lately um it was in fire team elite and the rpg as well i believe yep, i know it is in the uh, rpg yes. not great in fire team elite is it it depends with the right attachments it can do some good critical damage but you do have to time your shots pretty well 
I, I agree with you there. Aesthetically, it's a very unusual, very sci-fi looking piece of equipment. I mean, when you think of Alien, though, you don't think of it in terms of the hardware like you do when it comes to Aliens. Right. No, but it's fair, it's fair to mention that in um, Prometheus, you do see energy bolts. Mm-hmm. So I think they did return to the concept. So boring in Prometheus. Well, I, I think that is that's basically where weaponry is going now. So in a weird way, Aliens does it felt more grounded for its time, but as as time is actually catching up with it, it's weirdly the energy weapons concept which is going to be more where we will be by that point. There are two barrels on it, aren't there? On the thing that Kane's got in there, there's like one on the top, one on the bottom. Might, yeah, might be yeah. um. A uh, space nineteen ninety nine prop or something from another. It was it was a cap know. gun or something. I think it was a commercially available cap gun or water gun or something. It looks like, like a this. DIY tool, which is probably because they're the Nostromo crew. They're probably it's Put a it tool for yeah. It's an industrial tool. It's just that it, like it has a, a secondary purpose. But Dal, I think they do actually say laser break weapons. out the weapons. Yeah, yeah, break out they, the weapons. They do say something about lasers. There's also a warning sign, the, the famous Nostromo um, symbology things, and one of them does say about lasers on it. So I think the lower part of the weapon is supposed to be a flashlight, is it not? Maybe. We don't know. It's, it looked interesting for its time. Yeah, it's definitely a visually unique weapon, and even amongst the Alien franchise, you know, it's a very unique looking. Alien came about because of Star Wars, and they wanted something that would be sci-fi and make money. So it, it looks like it would have fitted in a, a Star Wars film. It looks plausible. So, yeah, it's it was a nice piece of design. Sarah brings up a good point in the chat. You know, for her, it doesn't fit because later on they're making random weapons out of random stuff. Then they have this scene that suggests they already have armaments on board. I, I, I can but understand after that. After they realized they couldn't shoot it, though. Yes, so that's, decide- that's true. That's true. I think they they come up with the idea of flamethrowers to herd it to an airlock, not to try and damage it, because that was the point of the acid. I didn't want to injure it. But whether cooking it would cause acid to come out? I don't know. Yeah, it's like you said, though. I think at that point, the, the idea is to herd it. Yeah, they wanted to herd it. Yeah. Should we talk about the slap, then? You uh, bitch. Which one? To the cat box, or...? No, that's that's later. The Lambert oh, stuff. Oh, Jonesy. Jones gets hit about so much in this film. The director's cut, anyway. Go on then, Adam. Have you got, have you got any thoughts on that slap, that scene? So, yeah, it was a little neat to, to just see more tension of the crew after they had had their disagreement with Ripley. And then Ash ended up opening the door and, and letting them in. And then Lambert is like, you were going to leave us out there. We didn't know what this thing was and, and is expressing that frustration with a slap and they get into a scuffle. And then over the intercom, we hear Dallas, uh, you know, reprimanding Ripley saying, I give an order. I expect it to be followed. She's like, well, it's against the law. He's like, I don't care. You still follow my order. And she was right. She was the executive officer. She was in the right. Yeah. But I mean, I guess when you're out in space and it's a survival situation, that is debatable is if you go by the book or if you go by something else. But in the end, yes, ultimately she was right, as they all found out. Now, what do you think, Aaron, in terms of just having that little scuffle there? Because I never got the impression in Alien that the crew liked each other that much. Yes. So it, it was cool to just see a bit more aggression there mm-hmm. no i completely agree I, i'm not quite sure why this one was cut because i don't think it 
I don't think it really does any damage to any of the characters. I don't think it really damages the pacing. And, and it just contributes towards this aggression, this not necessarily family dynamic that the, the crew has going on. You know, and that's something, you know, Ridley himself fostered in terms of the filming, you know, in, in antagonizing, you know, Yafit Koto to antagonize Sigourney Weaver. So it, it just contributes towards that tension. And it was interesting to see some repercussions of her disobeying. Dallas was out, he was outside the ship and she was technically right. There would naturally be some discussion being had at some point being like, I don't fucking give a shit if you were correct. I told you to do this. I'm the boss. And having it in the director's cut, I think, is nice and and goes towards that blue collar reality truckers in space kind of kind of dynamic of the whole film. So, yeah, it's a scene I like. What about you, Tom? Any thoughts? I mostly like this one. I like the slap a lot. And that kind of bubbling, you know, tension with Ripley and Lambert there. I'm not as hot on the Dallas yelling in at Ripley and Ripley yelling back over there. Couple reasons. First, I think she has a much better retort to that situation later on when she's talking to Ash about how when Dallas and Kane are off the ship, she's the one in charge. I like that, you know, kind of phrasing of it more than mm-hmm. just the kind of blunt, even if it's illegal, um, or against the law, or however she says it. And also, just on a structural thing, the cut doesn't really work for me hearing Dallas off camera yelling at her and then immediate cut to a very calm, collected Dallas working on the facehugger. So I like the Ripley-Lambert half of the scene a lot. I'm not as hot on the Ripley-Dallas half. No, that's an entirely fair point. You know, I hadn't really thought about that cut between the change in manners, you know, and calmness. So that's a very good point. Sarah says, for me, Dallas was out of order, but if I was Lambert, I'd have clocked Ripley as well. So the next significant thing probably is a cut, is the removal of Ash's history or lack thereof with the crew. I don't think I really missed this one. I mean, it's nice, but it's one of those take it or leave it kind of moments for me. I think it telegraphs something is up with Ash a little too early. But you have a lot of that already anyway with the, you know, with the running. Yeah, but I mean, some people have weird quirks. I think something like that, he was just put here at the last moment. I wonder why. It's that kind of thing. So I think removing it kind of helps in a way. But um, like you, I mean, it doesn't really matter either way. So, and most of these cuts were for pacing. We know that. So things like this that don't really affect anything else, remove it. Is that what Tom said about the slap? You already get that repeated in a way when Ripley is talking with Dallas about the authority thing anyway. So if they're looking for things to take out for pacing, yeah, it qualifies. So um, yeah. I agree. I do think it makes sense as a cut, but it it does also feel natural. Like if Ripley had worked with Dallas before and she had not known Ash and she's growing more suspicious of Ash, you could imagine someone to be like, hey, what's with this guy? Like, have you ever shipped out with him before? So it does make sense as a scene and it it builds on that suspicion that that Ripley has towards him. But I also agree with you, Eric. I don't feel that it's, it's necessary. And I think the theatrical cut is better without it, honestly. That's one that I do miss in the director's cut. I like that exchange a lot 
I think just going back to the previous scene's point about them not all being friends, and I think just anything to kind of add a little more kind of tension and conflict in that they just, a lot of these people don't trust each other, and with the situation they're in, they're kind of letting those feelings bubble out to the surface, and you know, saying the quiet part out loud, I don't trust this guy to you, is something that I like having in the film. I don't think it's, you know, removing that is as big a sin as, you know, the Dallas mother scene, but it is something that kind of sticks out to me that I miss in the director's cut. That's absolutely fair. Tom, you you can start us off on this one. The alternate alien, you know, Dallas, not Dallas, uh, Brett's death and uh, the changes there. How do you feel about, you know, how do you feel about that one? This one I love the director's cut version of. I like spending a little more time with the alien in that moment. I think the shots to themselves just look really great. I think the flow of that transition from one scene to the next works a little better with Ripley and Parker. We actually see them see the alien as opposed to having that action all play out and then Ripley and Parker talking about it, but we never actually saw them in the same space at the same time in the theatrical cut. So I liked seeing that. I liked the extra bit of violence. And this one strikes me, I don't know if this is the case or not, you might have notes on this, but this strikes me as something that at the time in 79 wasn't removed for pacing, but was maybe a ratings cut, just because you do have that extra bit of gore dropping down. I don't know if that's the case, but that's how it feels to me. Well, I, w- I would just point out just what you're saying. I, I remember um, Jaws would have been, what, 74? And that had Quint literally being eaten alive. True, that is gore. true. So I, yeah. I think that would have been the precedent for that, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This one, this scene is probably more than anything else in the director's cut. The one that stands out to me is something that I that I really love. I, I agree with you, Tom. This is probably one of my favorites of the director's cut, just seeing a bit more of the xenomorph, that eerie shot of it just swaying back and forth in the chains above. Seeing it like kind of more imposing on Brett, slowly crushing his head. It just gives us a bit more. And, th- and that's kind of what we want to see if you're going to go to the theaters and see a movie you've seen before, is you just want to see a bit more, especially of the xenomorph and the alien that you didn't before. I do still feel like the pacing works a bit better in the original. I love how he just gets snatched. You have the scream and you see the cat and that's it. And then it's kind of left to your imagination. Like what did Ripley and Brett see in, or sorry, Parker, what did Ripley and Parker see in the, uh, the aftermath of that scene? Made me wonder too. I mean, even in this, did they see the alien when they look up? Did they see it moving away? Because we see a perspective shot of them looking up before the blood falls on them, but we don't see the alien. So it's still kind of left to your imagination a little bit, I guess. That was something I wanted to talk about as well. So just to specifically address what Adam said here. Again, the laser cut, the alien legacy, deleted scenes. It plays out a teeny bit different. So they walk in as the alien is taking brett up so they see the alien they see brett's body being taken up whereas in the director's cut it's um he gets taken up and then it cuts to them running in from quite a distance 
So that's something I don't really like in the director's cut because you then go into them uh, giving this dialogue in the next scenes about, you know, it was big, it was like a man. And I don't feel like the director's cut shows that. I don't think it justifies Parker having making those comments because he doesn't he doesn't see it like he does in, in the deleted scene. I much prefer that. And again, in the deleted scene as well, you also hear Brett call out for Parker, which I don't think the director's cut has. So, you know, that was a nice little moment of him calling out to his his friend and it also justifying them coming running in. Because I don't think the director's cut really makes a good job of them making a commotion, you know? So again, this is another one where I prefer it. It was as, as originally intended before it was polished, in quotation marks. In terms of seeing the alien, th- this is one of those ones I swing about with. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, swinging in, in the chains. I either love it when I'm watching it and I'm like, yes, I just want to see more of the alien. I want to see more of that fucking gorgeous suit, that gorgeous design, this other worldly unique creature up there. And then other times I'm just like, I think it works better when we don't see it. So, you know, that's very much one of those how I am in the moment kind of scenes. But I don't think the best version is... I don't think it's either the director's cut and I don't think it's the theatrical cut either. I'm actually quite fond of some of the more fan-made extended cuts from things like the um, the Appendix fan DVDs or I forget what he called them. Um, the, the virtual assembly cut. You know, I like the, the fan-made assembly cuts where it's all the extended bits of that scene and you get to see a lot more of the gore. You get to see a lot more of the violence the alien pulling Brett into it, the clamping down on the head and you're seeing the blood drip down. I very much enjoy all of that and I don't like it edited down in either version, but that's me. If you haven't seen this, if you haven't downloaded this, I do recommend people get a copy of um, the virtual assembly cut. I think the work print was what the earlier version was called, but yeah, it was, it's a fan fan edit of like all the outtakes, all the um, deleted scenes put together. A little is good, more must be better. That's that's how I feel about Aliens, the special edition. And that's how I feel about the, the work print stuff for Alien. Uh, Sarah says, I feel the original gave more emphasis on Brett and his experience, which reflects the final scenes of Parker and Lambert, rather than the experience through another character's eyes. And it does kind of feel a bit more lonely as well, doesn't it? Yeah. It feels more isolated. Brett is there on his own, and he doesn't have the support of uh, any of the other crew. Yeah, I like that. And it's a horror and a tension kind of thing. For me, it was interesting to watch because it's, you know, it's something we're so familiar with. And as alien fans, we do like to see more shots of the alien because it is an artistic cultural piece, this film. I think the shot of the alien hanging there in the rafters, sort of Hellraiser style amongst the chains. It works and it doesn't for me. It works because I can see what they were going for. They were going for like how you see it in the escape shuttle where you realize, oh, it was there all the time. It doesn't work for me because when you see the alien, it's doing this and you see the outline of its arms. If the arms have been doing that funeral pose that you often see it depicted in fan art, I think the dorsal tubes in the head would have been enough to make us think, oh, it's machinery. But because the the brain is hardwired to see patterns in things, I think it's too much of a giveaway. That's something else. It's not like in the escape shuttle where it works because you're only seeing parts the body in isolation, like and parts of it look like piping on the shuttle. 
in this, it's a little bit it's too, too obvious because of the, the yeah. arm pose. Yeah, if the arms have been changed, I'd have been like, they should have kept it in. It's interesting, but I think it's too much of a, oh, look, it's like the dorsal fin out of Jaws. And I prefer the theatrical cut of how Brett dies because it just, it works so well where Brett just gets taken and you see, you just see Jones looking up at it in completely no emotion. It's like a child has been traumatized and you just hear Brett's cries of anguish just disappearing into the distance. And then it switches to Parker having a kind of similar look as Jones, and he's just drained. And you just feel like him and Ripley were wandering in, and they just saw something which is so alien to them, because they've been looking for something the size of a snake, and they saw Brett being abducted by something that big that you can, your mind just goes, they must have seen it. And even though Brett's flailing and screaming, they must have just been dumbfounded by how, what the hell is this? And the way Yefet Koto, there are only a few lines of dialogue, but you just see, you know, the way he says it, big, it's huge. And he sells that, like he's a big guy. Like if he was pissed off with you, in the, you wouldn't want to go up to him in a dark alley, but he sells that part so well. He's like the, the one guy in the crew who, you know, he you could count him in, in a fight. And he sells this so beautifully well that it's something ghastly. It's something literally out of his nightmares and he's seeing it for real and he wouldn't have been able to react because he's just frozen like some people do in those kind of situations so and i just think it works so well going from the cat just staring up and it just goes into and you're hearing brett you're all you're hearing is brett screams they dial down and then it's parker and in the director's cut, it goes from the cat and chaos, where Ripley and Parker rushing it, and there's that chaos, blood drips, and they're seeing it, and there's, and it goes to silence again. And in the, the original, it's just much more haunting, and it stays with you because it's haunting. And Brett's death has more impact because less is more. So for me, the theatrical cut works better. I agree with you there. I feel like viewing it as a fan who, again, has seen the movie before, it works well in that context, just wanting to see more, but cinematically it's more effective in the It's more chilling yeah. in the original, yeah. Yeah. I I love that linger on Jones's face as you hear Brett screams. It goes through you far more, I think. And of course, it's replicated in Aliens at the start with Ripley's Dream, except there, Jones does that really, you know, wall, that piss. Mm. And it's the same device they're using, both films, but it is just, you get the reflection because you have the big eyes, you have that reflection in the eyes too. Was it the same method? Wasn't it another cat in Aliens, whereas in yeah, Alien, I think it was a like German actor, Shepherd? But, you know, it's the, yeah. The different creature. But yeah. But it, it, what yeah. I'm saying is it clock device wise. Yeah, it's got no the way. same yeah. yeah. 
and and the whole just to go off topic a little bit but the whole brett being mesmerized i love the way the rpg deals with that you know this idea that the aliens is there's something going on there that can terrorize them and mesmerize people and i like they're that the mo- they're the monster from the id like that forbidden planet type of thing yeah so i think there's only really one more significant scene you know, there's a lot of little snips and a lot of little talks and snips and, and just changes to pacing. So before we go to the final scene, I just want to offer it out to everybody here. Was there anything that we wouldn't really consider significant that you want to call out to or shout out to for any specific reasons? I mean, the alien whacking the cat, that was... No, that's after. Oh, okay. That's after the big one. Oh, the big one. Okay. So before the big one? No, not that I can think of. I'm sure there's something with Ash, but I don't remember what it is if it's there. Isn't isn't it the one where they talk about Ripley asks if Lambert slept with him? Wasn't that yes. an addition? Yeah, that that was. Although no, it's it it feels like something that should have been cut back because you're thinking, why are they talking about sex with a crew? Ridley Scott's weird idea of. Everybody has sex with everyone else. (laughs) Yeah, but it's another one of those things about suspecting Ash, suspecting something weird. If everybody else is is shagging, then it must be But again, his reveal works better without it, I feel. I don't particularly care either way for that scene. No. I kind of like the casual nature of it, but... Like, it's there, but I can... It doesn't matter. Come on then, let's talk Egg Morphin, because Egg Morphin is, I think, a big thing for the franchise, a big thing for fandom, it's a big discussion. And of course, people knew about it for a long time, you know, before before even the laser disc, before the DVD, you know, thanks to things like the Book of Alien and um, the random making of stuff back in the 70s. You know, Cameron knew about this, but decided he did not want to use it. Yeah, and the Alan Dean Foster novelization. Yes, that was that was my introduction to it, and the way it was described in there really got to me back then. Then I found out Book of Alien, and you saw the concept art and stuff, and want to see it. That was the that was the effect (laughs) it had on me back then. I I want to know what it looked like. I bet this was the big draw of this release absolutely you know is 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 this scene so tom did you know about this scene before the director's cut before watching the director's cut yes yeah so i mean like i said i had gotten into alien it was after this cut existed though i don't know if i specified my introduction was the theatrical cut yeah so i knew about this of course 2007 was also a much easier time to see things on the internet. So it wasn't long after I got into Alien and became obsessed and, you know, started diving into everything that I learned that this was a thing and ended up seeing this scene out of context, just on its own, you know, as a standalone scene before eventually seeing the director's cut and seeing it inserted back into the film something that fascinated me the second I heard about it. And then as far as it as a scene, because as a concept, it's something I absolutely love. As a scene, I don't think it works in the movie at all. I 100% understand it being cut from the original release, and I don't you know, begrudge that at all. And it has nothing to do with the uh, 
contradiction, you know, the discrepancy in portrayal of the alien reproduction cycle versus in later films. That's kind of really neither here nor there to me. I think it's interesting as an alternate take. I'm someone that's, you know, very vocal online about my love of Covenant, and I don't mind seeing different takes on things within the series. I'm not really a a stickler for continuity in that regard, so that's not where my issue here comes. I think it just grinds the whole escape to a halt at the end of the movie. It's something that, taken on its own as a scene, I will sit there and watch it and love what I'm seeing, but the second it's there in the movie, it just, it does not work for me, bookended where it is in the film proper. You cannot be more right. This scene was not originally placed here in the script. (laughs) In the script, this takes place before she sets off the self-destruct. She hears it when she's sort of in the engineering area, you know, going to do the self-destruct. And my big note on this one is it should have been placed where it was originally placed in the script. For that exact same reason, Tom, why the fuck is she taking this time when the ship's blowing up, about to blow up around her because she hears a groan amidst all the, you know, the klaxons? This wasn't taking place. You know, there was no alarms going off. She could hear a loud groan and she goes to investigate it because she's not in the middle of a countdown. It also gives an, it gives more of an incentive for her to do the self-destruct. Yes, because she's just seen this horrific fucking yes. sight. And she's saying, I cannot allow this to exist. It's too much of a horror for her. Mm-hmm. So I completely agree with you, Tom. Out of context, as it was originally intended, I fucking love this scene. You know, I am very much a fan of Egg Morphin. Yes, it contradicts the Queen... But we fandom, we nerds, we have explanations for this bullshit. You know, it's it's an emergency egg. The drone knows there's no queen about, so he's creating one. He's creating a queen egg through this method. There's all sorts of bullshit we can come up with to justify the coexistence of one. It still coexists if this is a way to create queen face hugger eggs. That totally fits, yeah. And and as a scene, I very much like it. I think it is again. I prefer the the deleted scene version because it's longer, it's tenser, it's a bit more drawn out. This is really keeping things snip, snip, snipped for the director's cut. But yeah, I love the scene. I love I love the effect of the hive in this one. I love the visual of Brett, poor Brett, so close to fully transforming. You know all this goop and shit and he's nearly unrecognizable and tom scarrett's pain as as dallas you know those groans those begging which again is is something that becomes a bit of an alien staple you know kill me arguably made more more of a staple by barbara coles in in aliens but you know it was here first guys it was here originally let me ask talking about the original deleted as opposed to the version this for brett maggots or no maggots Maggots, it's, it's gross. You prefer the maggots. Yeah. I mean, come on, they they can't have that many flies on the ship, guys. I mean, <laughs> well, they're, they're the one, they're the ones that made it out of the LSD induced comas from inside. No, from the idea of them putting maggots in the alien cow. That's, well, that's a bit they, too much. <laughs> they, they they went to sleep under the studio lights, so they put LSD in them to try and make a move. Yeah, in the Alien Theory channel, there was a guy who commented and he said his uncle was involved in that scene and they said what they did, he was involved in getting all the KY jelly and condoms from a local chemist, so he got a bit of a reputation and they put the maggots in the condoms and then the KY jelly over the top of the condoms, but they said the lighting actually made the condoms deteriorate. So it was actually the condoms broke inside the jelly and that's it, yeah. 
strange things happen. I am glad that idea was discarded because one of the things I like the most about the Xenomorph is how much it crosses over between the beautiful and the horrifying. And I think that would have pushed it a bit towards more of the gross, horrifying side a bit, yeah, it does a bit far. As far as that scene goes, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. It does break the pace in that third act. There could be an argument that it's a nice little breather for that, so it's not so breakneck. I mean, it's it's still a very tense scene, but it is a stop along her escape, so it still is kind of a breather. I do just love the tone of that room, though, as she descends the ladder, and it's just this dimly lit orange glow. And, like, what part of the ship is it? Is it back in the the landing gear bay, or...? Yeah, it's, okay. it's, the land, it's one of the landing legs is where they are. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the concept art, yeah. So kind of where Brett was was taken initially. Okay. Yeah, so he would have been taken directly up, and that's, he just basically took him up and just, he stuck where he was abducted, basically, just vertically. I mean, you do, in Alien Isolation, in the, the DLC based on the first film, you see his body up there, and there's like a secondary catwalk above the gear. So take that as you will. But yeah, I think that it's a eerie scene. It's a really creepy scene. Personally, I'm not a fan of the egg morphing concept. I've always preferred like the queen molding concept, but that's just me. I thought, I thought you were an egg barfing fan. No, that one I could just kind of square a bit more because I was like, okay, it is a process of a molting queen. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You can blame that on AVP2 being one of the things that, that brought me into the franchise and the whole queen molting concept with that, but... I don't mind it like I'm not against it or anything, but I do feel like the film works better without it. But the I can't deny that seeing that deleted scene on the legacy DVD and then seeing it in a theater was a pull for me wanting to go see the movie because it is a fascinating scene. Would you like to see this done in another film? You mean just egg morphing? Yeah, just egg morphing. Some No, no. No? I mean that but that's just me. Like I'm sure a lot of fans would. I would be down. Like I said, I'm always down for different weird takes, kind of continuity be damned if it's interesting enough. I think the prequels especially have kind of broken the doors down where you can you now have kind of an in-universe excuse where, you know, you can mold things in a way where there's no reason it wouldn't make some degree of sense. And even if it doesn't make sense, that's also kind of the point of it. It's just this unsettling thing in its own right. So it's not, you know, a concept I'm like, let's definitely see it in the next movie or whatever. But also if it kind of blindsided me and happened in the next movie, I I mean, if it's done well, I'd be pretty into it. I think it's a visually interesting thing. It's pretty different from what we've actually seen on screen in these movies outside of obviously that scene itself. I think it could shake things up in an interesting way. Not clamoring for it, but would be very into it if done well. Yeah. I, I would say I'm clamoring for it. I would love to see this in, in a movie or a TV show or something. I, I'm utterly fascinated with this scene and this um, method of reproduction. Sarah says, I didn't like this scene. In the original, Alien had the introduction of a soul alien. Aliens brought the Hive and Queen as new news. And Jim obviously knew about this and took it off anyway, which is fine. It was a deleted scene. You know, he was not beholden to this. So, you know, like the, the news of people being pissed off with aliens back in the day because of people knowing about the existence of this scene amuses me greatly. I would have liked to have seen a, der- a, a jockey, you know, in this process, you know, that, that being the intent, you know, the whole, um, I wonder what happened to the crew line being a lead, uh, you know, a leading to this. From what I remember, there are still rumors that there was a fossilized 
jockey alien scene, but I don't know if it's a misinterpretation with some of the sculptures that were. Yeah, well, I think one of the, one of the trading cards, one of the tops trading yes. cards from. Yeah, it was a trading card. Has like a pillar, and people have like tried to highlight where it's supposed to be the skeleton of the jockey alien. I don't see it. I don't yeah. see it personally. But what's it called when you there's a, there's a word for where you think you see something. Aridolia. Something like yeah, it's something yeah. with a P in it. You're seeing patterns in the art there, yeah. I think recently watched the director's cut for this and I hadn't seen it for ages. I will say what's weird because you said about originally it wasn't meant to be after the soft destruct, it was before. And I'd agree it works better if it had been for that, but I did notice Ripley does the self destruct. Then she goes down the ladder to here, don't know why. Jones isn't with her at any time. She does the flamethrower thing, so obviously she's not on her way to anywhere. She just goes back up the ladder, and all of a sudden Jones's little box is with her, and she puts it up the ladder. So it's a weird error, continuity error with that. I will say I love how this scene is done. I still wish it had been there originally. This is the one thing I always think they should have included. And I think in the director's cut, pacing wise, because it is actually, there is stuff that's cut out of how the original cocoon scene was. For me, it does work, you know, the number of beats and all the rest of it. I think it does work pacing wise with this particular version. However, and what Aaron said about Tom Skerritt, his um, acting here, I think he does a beautiful, he does basically an acting performance of someone who's suffering really advanced cancer because his body is breaking apart. He doesn't open his eyes properly, so you get the idea that he's lost his sight. And he doesn't... I don't know if it was Ridley Scott or Tom Skerritt coming up with this idea, but he doesn't speak. He speaks by inhaling. So you're getting the idea that even his vocal cords are breaking. And he says, sort of thing. So he's speaking through breathing in, and it creates a really disturbing ambience. You get the sense that he is falling apart. And he's feeling something inside him because he's not for Brett. He is becoming another egg. But the one thing I wish they kept from the original is Ripley talking to Dallas. And she says, what did it do to you? He doesn't answer. And she says, she says something else. I don't remember. Oh, she says, oh, I can get you to an auto dock. I can get you out of here. And he just says again, kill me. And that reinforces he is going through something so traumatizing, so agonizing. He just wants her to not kill him, but kill him in the most painful way possible with a flamethrower. And you think to yourself, what could be so agonizing that you want to be flamed to death? Like the, the modern version of witches at the burning at the stake. I wish they had kept that extra bit of Ripley dialogue. But even without it, I think it's really well done. And they've sharpened that image up so well. If you look at the original deleted scene, they've sharpened. They've got rid of the maggot somehow, Brett. That's probably just a different take. It might. There are some different... You see her looking around at different angles and stuff. How it is presented here, it is the most polished we're ever going to get. And I think it works well. It's just that, like you guys said, it should have been asserted somewhere else. But I still love it. I think this, if anything, creates a reason to watch an extended edition of Alien. It is always going to be the cocoon scene because that is something everybody knew about, everybody wanted. Unless it's something we still haven't seen in the... um, derelict or the still open question of whether the box alien from the comic adaptation exists (laughs) 
Because I'm sure it's out there somewhere. This would be the reason you go to see this added, yeah. you know, more of Alien. It is always going to be the cocoon scene. And it, it is sold in such a way that I'd say this is far more horrifying than what we see Kane going through. It's more drawn out. Yeah. It's so much more disturbing. He is not, you don't actually see anything happen to Dallas, but you know something is happening to him yeah. on the inside. And Tom Skirrett's performance in, especially as well as Sigourney Weaver's, like she's doing reaction, but his performance through that, this would have been something the audience is at that time would never have been exposed to. It really was on another level of horror back then. But even now it's beautifully done. And I, I wish they would have somehow found a way to keep it in there. But it's like the scene in Aliens where you see Ripley finding out about her daughter. It's not horror, but it's one of those things that you say it should have had that scene kept. If I watch the director's one, it's because of this scene, at least 50% of the reason. So I think there's only really one. It's not even massively significant, but there's one bigger change. And Eric sort of led into this, talked about Jonesy's box. Go on, Adam, tell us about beating cats up. So we just have an extra shot of the alien peering into Jonesy's cat box that Ripley dropped as she was trying to get away. And he stands up and then just swats it to the side. (laughs) Poor kitty, but hopefully that box had some padding on the inside. But again, it's just more of the xenomorph. It's another new shot of the alien that we didn't have in theatrical cut. It's kind of interesting in terms of personality wise for the xenomorph. Like it just... You have to think, okay, is it swatting it because it's frustrated? Is it just trying to get at it? What's going on there? But I don't know. It's kind of a take it or leave it thing for me. But it's a cool extra shot of the alien, especially up close. Well, it's poor Jonesy because Ripley, I'm sure it's because there is no cat in the box physically with the actress at that point. But when she's rushing to the escape shuttle, she throws it all over the place. Yeah. But at the end of it, she gets Jonesy out and Jonesy goes out and she says, oh, shush, shush. I'm thinking that cat's got brain damage. (laughs) But yeah, like Adam says, it's a nice shot of the alien just being outright hostile to everything. I like the shot of the alien peering. I like the calm, patience, the curiosity. Don't like the sudden swat. You know, I like very much like the steadier depiction of the alien in this film. So uh, I, I, can, I can be without this one, I'm afraid. Yeah, I think I'm mostly in the same boat there. I, I love the peering. I think I'd even like the SWAT if it was a little more curious and a little less like with violent intent as it's just looking and figuring it out. But then just production-wise, it's interesting just looking at the two cuts of the film. This is maybe, like, this is a small moment, but it's the one that almost feels the most obvious that something is cut when you're watching the theatrical movie, just the way the score kind of stops without actually ending or, you know, transitioning into another piece of music. Like, this is the one moment in the theatrical where you look and you're like, oh, yeah, I could tell something was just cut there and they didn't really patch that. It must have been a later cut in that regard. So that's something that I just, you know, kind of always find funny and interesting when I watch the film. I'd never really noticed that until I was watching it again the the other day. And yeah, that one jumped out to me then. I think I agree with you. I love the, the peering moment. I wish I wish the SWAT was a little more like curiosity trying to figure out maybe what like trying to get in the box list. yeah or pushing it aside without so much being hostile and then just moving mm-hmm. on yeah that's fair 
I think that's everything I have to say on the DC versus the TE argument. You know, my thoughts on it after this discussion still haven't changed. I would always rather watch the TE. I would rather watch the things about the, the DC in isolation. You know, I'd rather watch the cocoon scene on YouTube or, you know, on as a separate thing, uh, special features. But occasionally I'm curious enough to go back to it and give it a go. But I'm glad that the theatrical cut is generally the one that ends up being replayed when uh, we get these lovely Alien Day show-ins. This is going to kind of sound trivial, but I always thought it was interesting. The director's cut poster was just the same thing, except silver border, Mm -hmm. except for white. And part of me is like, couldn't you have like done something a little different? But then again, that poster is iconic. So it's like, okay, they want to stick with the poster. But that was the first poster I ever had from the franchise was the director's cut one. Just a little, again, a tangent and an aside there. And that was because you worked in a movie theater. No, this, right? was, this was well before that. Oh, okay. Me, I was 14 when this came out. I didn't, yeah, I, didn't I don't know. I don't know when you have jobs over there in the UK. <laughs> when you're 18, buddy. No, um, the webmaster of one of the old AVP sites gave it to me for free because it was slightly damaged. Uh, absolute AVP, AVP2.net, it became Absolute AVP. I forget which it was at the time. And uh, yeah, sent me sent me this copy because it'd been slightly damaged and they didn't want to give it away in the competition that they were running. So that was my first ever Alien poster. You still got it? No, oh, it was long gone. As, as a kid, I did that heinous thing of blue tacking or nailing them to oh. walls. <laughs> I had um I had an old Alien Three one sheet as well that I did that too, and I Oof. regret because those Alien Three one sheets cost a fucking fortune to buy now, and I would very much like one now. I've got fancy um movie one sheet frames above my computer. One I'd like to see made into a poster is that you know the the alternative Alien Three one with the above the Earth saying on Earth everyone can hear you scream with a cracking egg you see anyone make that into a poster which is weird because that's one of those you know famous what if things i'd really like to see that as a poster get that sure you can get your own fan one made there eric probably i know i've only seen like really low resolutions of it that's the thing right adam do you want to um whore us out sure thank you for watching or listening however you consume our podcast we always appreciate a rating. It really helps us out a lot on any of the, the platforms you, you happen to be listening or viewing this on. You can always find us on our main hub of activity, which is our website, avpgalaxy.net, where we have all sorts of good stuff like editorials, news on the latest happenings in the franchise, interviews, as well as old school message boards where you can engage with other fans. You can also find us on all the major social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm going to stop calling it X. No one, no one else is calling it X. And uh, Threads. And to our Patreon supporters, thank you very much for our support. Our Patreon supporters are watching us record this live right now. So they get all the uh, the outtakes and any screw ups that we may do. And if you are considering it, go ahead and check us out on patreon.com forward slash AVP Galaxy. And of course, we just dropped our second genetic memory. Uh, I say we've just, as of recording, we very recently dropped our um, second episode of the Genetic Memory Patreon exclusive podcast, which is um, tangentially related to Alien. And we discussed Dead Space on the second episode. Finally. And I think for our third one, we're going to do without, not without warning. Yeah, without warning, the, the Kevin Peter Hall Hunter Alien one that he did before Predator. I think he's without warning. We'll double check. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, let me pick one. We said there's <laughs> going to be so many, Adam. Come on. We should He's do obsessed legends. with picking a topic at the minute. Jesus Christ. We got to do uh, Galaxy of Terror. Yeah, we we will do Galaxy of Terror, of course, at some point. 
That can be number four. How about that? Okay. If that if that's our next one, the legend though or creature. What, what's the one you mentioned, Eric? Legend. The unicorn movie, Legend. Yeah, because it's a really oh. Scott one. Yeah. Oh, okay. It does so feel like the a cinematography. Very good yeah. companion piece to Covenant in a lot of weird ways. Hmm. <laughs> I did like that <laughs> movie. It's been a long time well. since I've seen it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we'll be doing all sorts of crap like that. We'll do Avatar at some point as well, you know, all that kind of fun what? stuff. Well, we've always said we're going to do Inseminoid, didn't we? Yes, we'll do Inseminoid. We will do Inseminoid as well. Brace yourself. <laughs> There's going to be lots of random ass, well, random ass topics on there in quotation marks. They're all related. It's fine. Tom, thank you very much for joining us and making your AVP Galaxy podcast debut. Yeah, we've enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Interesting topic. Trying to think of other topics that aren't just reviews and interviews, so it's been nice to finally get to this uh, this kind of thing. Do you have any where you want to send people to? Do you want do you, do you want folk to stalk you on Twitter or anything? No, no, <laughs> not quite yet. Once I uh, once I get a few more of my own things out, I might have something, but not as of today. Okay, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Corporal Hicks. That's the only place I am. If you'd like to follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Ridgetop Twenty One. And if you haven't already, I recently posted a article and a video on what happened to Dr. Elizabeth Shaw following the events of Prometheus, just looking at some of the alternate fates that she had in, other, in the scripts or uh, the suggestions from some of the ancillary material. And of course, some thoughts from Matt Hatton and Dane Hallett, who were the uh, illustrators, the artists responsible for David's drawings of Shaw's very fucked up face in those drawings. So um, head on over to YouTube, head on over to AVP Galaxy and uh, check out that piece. Let me know what you think. As always, thank you everybody for watching or listening. This has been Corporal Hicks. Bridgestop, Xenomorphin, Nightmare Asylum. Signing off.